What's up, CJ? You're on mute, man. Hello, hello. How's it going? How's it going? It's going, man. It's going just uh, here at Phoenix Sky Harbor. I'll have to, you know, get on back to the bay here in a few and uh, continue what has been a very strange season for the Golden State Warriors. It has been strange. It has been strange. Um, and we'll jump right into it because you don't know how much time. Like, what's been the strangest aspect of it to you? Truthfully, the strangest aspect of this six and nine start came last night after the game um, over there at Footprint Center. You know, Occur talking about his team, there being a lack of, you know, collective like buy-in to win. Guys not having each other's backs. Those are that's all language that usually comes with a bad team and hear that language associated with the defending champions, a team that, yeah, although they did lose Gary Payton II and Otto Porter Jr., Damian Lee, Maya B. Elites of the free agency, that core of Curry, Thompson, and Draymond Green is still intact. And, you know, historically, you know, through the years, when those three, all three are healthy, Warriors are a tough team to beat. So to hear that language being used, with those three guys still healthy and with Curry having arguably, you know, the best season of his career through 15 games, I mean, that's, that's, that's really troubling stuff. And, you know, Curry said something that's really key yesterday. Losing becomes a habit if you don't correct it. And right now yeah. the Warriors are in – it's early, right? It's early, and I think a lot of people have confidence that at some point this team will find a way to figure it out, whether it's with their current personnel or, you know, maybe they shake things up with a trade – um, but they're in danger of losing, becoming a habit. And that's just so shocking to, to hear about a team whose expectations heading into this year or that they're going to run it back. Yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm sacked this week. And I was here for uh, the Warriors game on Sunday. And uh, I guess, yeah, it was Sunday. And, like, there's definitely – Definitely not like a energy of like this is a thing we're gonna correct like like we're gonna be fine. like a lot of teams like in the beginning of the season it was definitely like oh we're the Warriors like we're gonna be okay it definitely seems like it's a thing that is starting to be consciously talked about as something that needs to be addressed because um, look like from just to how the Warriors have obviously been built, but also, you know, from talking to people behind the scenes, like, they've had a lot of success in recent years um, with... <laughs> it's so loud back there. <laughs> um, we've had a lot of success... Uh, the Warriors have had a lot of success with um, finding guys on minimum deals like Otto Porter and Gary Payton, who either are trying to show something or... They're, they're hungry for their shot, or they, they knew their role. They knew exactly how to star in their role, and it, it worked well. And it's, it was able to kind of platoon the, the top-heavy part of this roster when they had to send guys to the bench like every team does, right? And, like, Jermichael Green just hasn't been excellent in that role. And Dante Vincendo has been in and out of the lineup, and the young guys obviously haven't been – uh, across the board, able to, and the fact they're playing Ty Jerome and Lamb so often is just, and that wasn't the plan, obviously, right? So it, it's just, it just goes to show that they're trying to figure out ways to 
prop up the second unit, and it's it's kind of hurt Jordan, Jordan Poole as he's gotten more and more attention, kind of being like the Steph of the second unit. So we'll see. Like, we'll see how they go to address it if they do come December 15th when the, you know, unofficial trade window opens. It, it I mean, they're not exactly a team that goes out and, and regularly makes – big mid-season moves but I, I I do wonder what it's it's something that you know when, when you talk to people around the league like a lot of it is you're asking them about what they think other teams should do or what they think about other teams positions and I this is during this Warriors run this is the most I've heard people in the league talk about oh the Warriors should make a big or should make some type of move is that something you think is in the cards you know if Steph Curry wasn't playing the way he was playing, I think that they would just try to, you know, figure things out with the group they have. But since Steph is playing at such a high level at the age of 34, you know, your championship window is, the Warriors' championship window is based upon how number 30 is playing. And number 30 is playing at MVP level right now, and he's not getting any younger. So with that in mind, I don't think Bob Myers and company are going to be willing to waste Stephen Curry's prime and waste such a season like this. Um, so completely, to be completely honest, if these young guys, you know, if James Wiseman, whenever he does return um, from his, you know, unofficial, well, from his stint in the G League, um, show, show some considerable improvement. If guys like Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga can't make leaps, then yeah, I do see the Warriors trying to make a move to salvage the most of this great season from Steph. You know, Myers and company, they entered the season with the notion that, you know, Clay Thompson would be Clay again. Kaminga, Moody, Wiseman will be ready to step into these large roles. Um, that Jordan Poole would be more consistent, would be consistent and like show that he's ever $40 million contract. 123 million guarantee that he received this offseason. None of those things that have happened, nothing they planned on happening has happened. The only constant on this team has been Stephen Curry, and maybe you can throw Andrew Wiggins in there with his two-way presence. But other than that, nothing's gone according to plan. And because of that, these plans have to now be thrown out the window, and this team, I wouldn't be surprised if this team decides to go back to the drawing board. Yeah. So this team was in Phoenix last night, and a nice segue into I know a good portion of people in this room are here because I wanted to hear about the Jake Crowder trade. Um, before I say what I heard throughout, what I've heard throughout this week, I'm curious for someone who just watched Phoenix last night up, up close and personal, what do you think should be the Suns' move to try to plug – I mean, they're missing now Jake Crowder and Cam Johnson, right? So there, there's there's one school of thought that some people suggest, you know, they should, Phoenix should take a first and add it to Jay and maybe Sarge's salary and, and, and Shaman's salary and go buy somebody, go get a real difference maker. But it, it seems like maybe they're more focused on trying to just go more of a, a plug-and-play Um in terms of like, oh, we're trading like a one-for-one one type situation, what have you. Um, what what type of player, what what type of impact do you think this team is kind of 
uh, in need of right now? Well, I haven't covered the Suns in years, so I don't want to sit here and act like I am a Phoenix Suns expert. But what I did see last night is a team with tons of depth. I mean, maybe it just says more about, you know, the Warriors, you know, defensive struggles. But, you know, Tory, I don't think his name is. I think I read it night shifts at Costco or something a month ago. And he had like 20 and 16 last night. I mean... That's the kind of depth the Warriors wish they had right now. I mean, they're they're playing without Chris Paul, <laughs> Andrew Shamet, um, Crowder. Uh, who else? Who else is out? I think one more guy was out. Uh, Cam Johnson, of course. And Chris Paul has been playing. Yeah, you no know Chris Paul. And they had like what four or five guys in double figures, and and we dropped like twenty eight, twenty nine. Um, I'm not sure how the Suns want to fill that Crowder void. But what, whoever they decide to bring in, they have to you know, come in and like, connect with the synergy that that bench has already developed. I mean, they have the type of bench chemistry that the Warriors wish they had right now. Um, you yeah. know, obviously, you don't want to obviously you don't want to mess that up with a guy who doesn't fit the culture. Right. Um, you know, I think I think uh, I think I read a tweet today that it was supposed to be what Eric Gordon coming back to Phoenix in that trade. So I don't want to say the specifics I heard uh, because I don't I don't have it solid enough to share like the actual specifics I've got a framework in mind and I I wouldn't have tweeted last night that they were close if I hadn't heard it popping up but one of the things I can really confidently say is that there's been a lot of talk this week that the Suns have been making progress and getting close on a deal um, and it does sound like most of the things they've been working on have been three-team concepts, um, which is something I wrote about back. Like one of my the first things I wrote at Yahoo, I did a whole Jay Crowder thing. That, like for him to get to Atlanta, for example, um, that, that, that like, that's what I wrote about in that first article. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. from everything I heard last night, it does sound like the only other thing I really comfortable sharing, confident sharing is that people around the situation have said that Milwaukee is the most likely team to land him. I can say that. So, um, and as I wrote last week, like, it, I mean, Milwaukee's definitely been calling the league and, and seeing what Grayson uh, Allen's value could bring back or what his value is, what have you. So, um, those are kind of the pieces I, I feel comfortable sharing, yeah. Does Jay Crowder potentially to the Bucks make the Bucks like a lot to go to the finals? That guy looked like how many straight finals did that guy play? In? Yeah, I mean, before last year. Well, so I mean, we're we're in this situation. We're in this situation being Jay Crowder being away from the team and kind of the the big like guy on the trade market right now that's like obviously available. Um, ironically enough, because he is like PJ Tucker, he is one of these veteran mercenaries who is just signing up for his best shot at winning a title pretty much as he's gone the last four or five years. And that role typically has a reduced salary and one that everyone probably across the board involved in those teams from the coaching staff to the player and the agent involved in the front office would probably agree that not exactly making what they're really worth, right? And that's how you see, you know, maybe P.J. Tucker 
that's a little extra change here in the back end in Philly for all his years of service in Houston, right? Like, not saying, you know, but that's kind of the the, the goings of it, right? Like, you got, a, you got a final big paycheck from people we worked with previously. That's how the game works. Um, and Jay Crowder wants that deal. Like, he wants to find a three-year, 30-plus deal because his contract's up and the Suns – um, you know, I mean, and, and Milwaukee, they have been looking to fill that PJ Tucker role ever since he left them for free agency for Miami after they won the title. So it is kind of interesting and like, I guess, nice and fitting that like all those pieces are on the board and going into new homes and what have you. Cause yeah, I think the fit will be pretty natural. Um, if it does get done again, Nothing. I mean, not to my knowledge, and I think I haven't checked on it because it seemed like something that, um, I don't know. It, it, I hadn't really gotten a sense that there was more to keep learning about it. Unfortunately, unless someone came back and let me know. Um, so we'll see if it, we'll see if if they're able to get, make something happen here soon. I mean, his Instagram story with the all black screen and and the clock, like. That's not nothing. I mean, I know that sometimes those things are nothing, but that doesn't seem to be. Um, and I know there's been some like, – he wants to get out of there, so maybe he's adding pressure and it could seem like there's things are a little bit closer than they might actually be. But um, it seems like there are some talks that are getting close to the finish line, yeah. I mean, is there another guy – like, I don't know. Jay probably is you're, – you're probably going to have to – really see like a Miles Turner or Jakob Pertle get moved before the deadline to like surpass what the addition of a Jay Crowder to a championship caliber team could be, I think. I'm not, I don't think he's like the missing piece, but he's like definitely uh, a helpful X factor in a series, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And he's, you know, proved that year after year. As I, you know, I just said a little bit earlier, I mean, how many straight finals did that guy play in? I mean, the dude's like, you know, like a, like a horseshoe. The lucky horseshoe to most NBA. Um, I'm gonna go back to Golden State. Shardal's in the queue. We're gonna get to our calls shortly. I promise. Uh, CJ's got to catch a flight shortly, um, so we're just gonna know what we got with him, and then I'll be happy to hang out with anyone who's still here. Um, which I hope you guys all are. If you want to ask a question, um, and you are just listening on your phone or on your computer, and want to know how, it's because you don't have an account. So if you Download the app, make a quick account, super easy, super painless. You can jump on in and we can have a nice chat about the NBA trade market. But so back to back to Golden State, and I'm not I'm not reporting this, but I'm just making an observation after seeing the team up close and watching them a bit from afar before. Like, do you think there might be some type of Paul as a result from the Draymond punch, like? I'm not trying to conflate something because it's a TMZ type thing, but it's just a story that hasn't gone away. Like when it first happened and it blew up, I remember thinking about it in the back of, I'm always trying to think about the larger context of what each individual story of a player, of a season, of a team, like what it will end up being at year's end um, like in the moment to try to like, bring the proper context to readers, right? And, like, at the time, I thought, 
the Draymond thing was going to just be something that faded into the background and would never really heard about again. I'm not saying I know it's like a big elephant in the room. I'm not saying that. Maybe it is. I don't. I don't know that to be true. Um, but what I'm saying is, it's just something that hasn't evaporated from people's thoughts about this team. That I thought I didn't think it would completely disappear this soon. But I'm just kind of surprised how much it seems like it's still kind of hanging in the air a bit. You know, we haven't seen much of that situation lingering in the limited time. We get to see them on the practice court. When you watch them play, it doesn't seem like they're, you know, shutting off Draymond in any type of way. But when looking at this Warrior season so far and looking at some of their struggles, it's impossible to ignore that, you know, all this kind of started with that incident with Jordan Poole, right? Um, you know, I remember we were out in Japan with them in preseason, and the vibes were strong. Uh, you know, it's preseason basketball against the Wizards, right? But, you know, they, they look good, man. They look good. They look sharp. Um, and, you know, they look good for most of the preseason, even once Draymond got back and... You know, I mean, the only people who truly know, you know, if that situation's still lingering are the people inside that locker room. You know, I don't think I'm at liberty to discuss that. But if you ask me how, how, how I feel, you know, maybe it has a little to do with this early season disconnect we're seeing from the Warriors. But I think their issues, um, you know, I think their issues kind of run deeper than just that. I mean... You know, Draymond yeah. squaring up on Jordan Poole doesn't exp- explain the lack of production uh, from those young guys. Um, it doesn't explain, you know, how, why Dante DiVincenzo and Jermichael Green are taking so long to kind of find their fit in the system. Um, it doesn't explain why they're struggling to close games on the road. Um, it doesn't explain why they're 0-8 on the road. So to, to, to put the blame of their struggles squarely on Draymond, I think, would be unfair. But... Has it maybe contributed to all this a little bit? I, I mean, I think it's. I, I, I think you can't say it has. You're leaving. Yeah. Again, I'm not saying I think it's this giant thing. It's just I was surprised how even like and maybe we were just like things people were asking more people about it, that type of stuff. But it's just it hasn't gone away. So I'm just curious if it if it hasn't gone away necessarily on the inside too. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, um, Clay is probably the other most important thing to ask you about while we have you here. I know we talked to Chris Haynes about, you know, give me credit. Like I worked through injury. Like I, I deserve to not be held. A, I don't understand. I, I haven't really been paying attention to like, are, are people killing this guy? Like I, he's Clay Thompson. Is that something he like, really needed to address? I'm, I'm curious. I'm not, I'm not calling out Chris. I'm saying I, I have, it hasn't been on my radar. Yeah. Well, here's my thing and how I kind of feel about, you know, Clay and how he's responded to some of his criticism. It's our job as media members to be fair and hold him accountable. And if the guy is not playing well, we have to report that. You know, we have to be fair. The same way that yeah. if Clay Thompson comes out here and drops 30 on, I don't know, 12 or 15 shooting, He's going to be praised. What I don't understand is how Clay keeps trying to remind everyone that, oh, I had these injuries, 
um, like you guys like, forgetting what I've been through. Well, he's not the first player to come back from a series of injuries. John Wall had. You know, holding that over everyone's heads. I mean, Clay had Clay Day in the Bay. There was multiple features written about his struggles and his comeback. And Clay looked better last postseason than he's looked through 15 games this year. So it's not that people are forgetting what Clay has been through. It's the fact that he looked better last year over in the postseason for the most part, at both ends of the court, then he's looked early in this season. I think he shot above 40% in a game twice this year. It's it's not that it's not that anyone's forgetting or trying to discredit Clay for what he's been through, but the fact of the matter is he's healthy now. He's back in the starting lineup, and he's had enough games under his belt where he should be showing some kind of rhythm. Now, of course, you know the, he he was he had a slow start to the preseason. You know, there was like a, I think he called it a mental block, um, you know, from yeah. playing pickup this summer as a result. You know, that's how he hurt his Achilles a couple of years back. Uh, and, you know, maybe that factors into it. But again, we're 15 games in now. And I know it takes shooters a while to, you know, develop some rhythm. And Clay has notoriously had slow starts to the season throughout his career. But, you know, at this point, you know, the Warriors need Clay to be productive. Like I said earlier in the segment. Like there are a lot of the Warriors made a lot of their moves this year based on assumptions. And one of those assumptions being that Clay Thompson would look better and be himself and build off of last season's postseason, last season's playoff success. Instead, Clay has regressed. He's regressed a little bit. And you know and with that comes a fair share of criticism. I, you know, and I think it's in, I'm not gonna sit here and say what's in Clay Thompson's best interest. The dude's one of the best players in NBA history, one of the greatest shooters the game's ever seen. But maybe more, you know, maybe more showing than talking, you know, more doing than talking. And that's kind of a mic, that's kind of, you know, a small sample of what this, the entire narrative around the Warriors has been this year. A lot of talking and not enough doing. It's also impacted their bench units, too, because, I mean, I think the Warriors have always been really deft at, kind of stagger their lineups, right, and keep their firepower on the court with the top starters and whatnot. Um, and Clay's feasted a lot over the years, playing when Steph goes to the bench and being the centerpiece of everything, flying around screens and whatnot now. So the goal, it, it seems, is to have him and, and Jordan Poole as the two linchpins of that reserve offense. And if he's not able to be that right now, it's like if Clay Thompson's supposed to be Clay Thompson and he's not, then it, it seems pretty obvious why the Warriors are, are not exceeding or not meeting expectations, right? It's, it definitely plays into it. You know, everyone knows how integral Clay is to this offense, and everyone knows how dangerous it is when him and Steph are on fire at the same time. Um, but, you know, Curry kind of brought up a good point last night. You know, Clay makes that first unit better just of the threat of him being on the floor. Because, you know, you gotta, you got to respect his shot. That stretches the floor. And everyone else, you know, overall is better because of it. But, you know, Clay is getting a lot of opportunities. Um, I think he took six of the Warriors' first 12 shots last night. Um, he's having a lot of opportunities to get going, and he just hasn't been able to do it yet. Um, yeah. All right, man. Well, 
CJ Holmes, thank you for the time. I know you got to catch a flight. We got some calls in the queue. So if there's anything you want to plug before you go, anything you want to ask me, if you want to flip the table around, feel free. Thanks for jumping on here, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. About to hop on this flight, but you know, everyone listening, if you want to follow my coverage or you know keep up with what I do, my everyday life, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at cjhomes22. And I please encourage you guys: retweets, not likes. Thank you. There you go. There you go. All right, man. Safe travels. Hope to see you soon. Hey, thanks for um, having me, man. This was a long time coming. Long time coming. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. Shout out Walk On Frat. Walk um, On Frat for life. All right, y'all. There you go, man. All right. We are going to Shardal. Shardal. Hey, uh, um, yesterday's game was a little bit, uh, a little bit heartbreaking because we, um, you know, Curry was uh, definitely hot. You know, he had 50 points, so he was, he was heating up from three. But, uh, do you think this the team is uh, weighing on Curry's shoulders? He's uh, carrying the burden of their success on uh, his shoulders because, um, you know, he's he's a one man show. You know, he 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 could lead the show by himself. Do you think that's him, or do you think that the other players are also, uh, you know, the failures also leaning upon the other players like Clay and Draymond? So, I think Steph has never been discussed or talked about as any type of guy that would like feel a burden from that like if anything he's i mean this is why i'm so taken by victor Wembanyama from being around him that week in vegas and seeing how he talked about the game and talked about life and talked about being part of a team it sounds you know kindergarten but i mean like when you're when you're up close around around these like I'm here in Sac this week and I've been to a couple of kids practices I'm at the games and I'm hanging around the locker room and seeing what's going on in the back hallways like you can tell that I mean the the energy around a team as much as these are millionaires and grown men like it it does still have very similar type of like components of just like your high school team or your travel team when you play as a kid in terms of like, this is still, these guys all were those guys. Like that, that energy still exists now. And for Steph, for, for Steph and Giannis and Tim Duncan, those types of dudes to be able to just like be one of the guys on that team and have, and, and be a part of that environment and camaraderie, but also just like, subtly and quietly know and handle themselves and conduct themselves as like I am the man and this does ultimately fall on my shoulders when things are all just falling on your shoulders it's not it doesn't seem to really be that hard because they're just doing that all the time it just maybe like you know you can you can carry up to 100 pounds to continue this metaphor and like, it's never going to get more than 100, but, like, you're ready to carry 100 at all times. You know what I mean? Like, he's ready for it. Uh, so what were your thoughts on the on the comeback by the Warriors? They they were making a, a big comeback in the end, trying to make the game really close. And, um, you know, uh, I believe Curry hit that three, and there was uh, it was uh, – uh, they had 119 points, and then uh, Phoenix had 130. Do you would did you were your uh, did you think that the game was literally over at that point? Like there was no chance that they were gonna like win the game because there, there was only like I believe there was only a few seconds left on the shot clock and there was no no chance of them coming back. So it was kind of like 
the game was the, the game was over, you know, like that was to be honest, to be honest, I didn't watch the game very closely in the second half. I went to uh some drinks with some people in town and uh, I was not uh, but, um, to be honest. But, but um if you did watch the game, um that was uh, that comeback was pretty impressive. I mean they, they were trying yeah, to I mean, they're, they're trying to win games, you know. They're a winner they're they're a veteran team and they you know, they're, they're, they need to start seeing wins on that side of the column in the standings, right? They're, I mean they're six and nine I just I just saw looking at the standings. Like they, they gotta they gotta win some games. They're gonna fight till the final buzzer, that's for sure. So um, the Golden State Warriors are zero eight on the road. Do you think that they're gonna break that streak? Yeah. You know, that's that's just uh, seeing that is just like it's like a gut punch to the stomach to see us zero eight on the road and seeing us just being so horrible this year and like we're six and nine, which is probably the worst record um, that we have that we have this season. Which is just yeah. you know, I know this team is really good because, but they they do do have some uh, weak points, and they do have to f- uh, focus on the improve on those weak areas and kind of make them stronger. Because uh, sure. if if they focus on those weak points and make them stronger, they can be a really great basketball team. Yeah, thank you, Shardo. I'm gonna go on to the next caller. I um, you know, the Owen Rate Road thing is is real. Um, obviously, and I mean, you're not gonna be able to win championships and win in the postseason, let alone win championships if you can't win on the road. And that's clearly what the bigger goal for this team is, obviously. They've been the six of the last eight finals. So I don't know what it is. I mean, they seem to be kind of scratching their heads at it. I mean, they were looking at – the Warriors were absolutely looking at that Kings game on Sunday as you know a short trip away. The Warriors don't fly to sack. They bust up. Um, they have, I mean, that, that, that bowl was pretty split in terms of the lower bowl and who, in terms of blue and gold versus purple and black, like those two markets have a fun little back and forth. It seems like it's always kind of been that way dating back to the, the Peja C web years. Um, when it was the opposite, when the Kings were kind of considered the juggernaut, obviously not for the same degree, but, um, so I think they they definitely needed that game and didn't get it. So I don't I don't know what adjustments can be made in terms of road versus away, but clearly it's it's a it's an issue hindering them right now. Um, we're going to James. What's up, James? James, do I have you? All right. We are going to Jake. What's going on, Jake? Hey, I uh, can we go ahead and put the Shea trade rumors to bed now? Yeah, I mean the guy's killing it, man. I I don't. I saw there was reporting this week that he's like unhappy in OKC. It doesn't seem to be the case. He's pretty clearly loving thriving and clutch moments for this team. So I would, I would agree with you there. I mean, people want it to happen. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. I mean, rival teams are looking, always looking for the guy they can pry away. Um, so clearly they're going to be seeing a star, a young all-star caliber player I mean he is an all-star he hasn't gotten there yet right I mean clearly the guy's an all-star caliber player um 
in a textbook rebuild, and they're trying to pry, they're they're trying to pry him loose and rattle the cage, but it it does not seem to be honest. Uh, it does not really seem like that's ever really been something that the Thunder have have truly, truly, truly entertained. So yeah, awesome. Thanks. You got it. All right, we're trying to bring James back on here. What's up, James? Man, maybe it's just me. I can't hear you, James. I'm sorry. We're going to try to do... James going to try to get back on here one more time. All right, we'll try Flizop. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Hello, hello. Has there been Hello, Flizop. You. What's up? Has there been any Hawk stocks? Sorry, say that one more time. I can't hear you. Hello. Has there been any talks with the Hawks? Oh, okay. Um, You know, I haven't heard anything of substance to to share about Atlanta. No, I nothing that I think is worth reporting and, and and serious. Oh well, that's it. Yeah, all right. Thank you for calling, Sam. Sam, how we doing? I do not hear you, Sam. Oh, Sam, did we got Hey, can you, you hear me now? Yes. Hey, right. Jake. What, what, thanks so much, on. man. Just, just for my understanding, what did you just change? What was the issue? Uh, I don't know. I'm in the browser. I had to tap something. Got it. Okay, cool. What's up? Hey, um, so um, jazz fan here. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm listening to the conversation about the Warriors, and, and I can't help but think that the Warriors and the Jazz would be a good trade match, uh, just given that we've got too many good players and they're kind of looking for a bench. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, I know that the Jazz were interested in uh, Moses Moody at the beginning of last season, uh, and they, I think they, it was reported that they almost traded Joe Ingles for Moses Moody uh, at one point. So, uh, I don't know. I'm wondering if you can see some potential synergies there, and, um, you know, is that a possibility? Thanks. Yeah, that's a great thought. It's something I can report, but it's, I mean, it's a great, great thought. And I think, um, especially in terms of, um, especially in terms of, like trying to figure out things ahead of time, like that is that's how that's my process of trying to find obvious A's that match B's, right? An obvious buyer and an obvious seller, and I mean, it doesn't seem like the Utah Jazz were building a team they thought were going to be competing for a championship this season, right? They traded two All Stars for a lot of picks, um, and picks down the future, so. You know, Danny Ainge came out and said that uh, he did not intend to build a loser, right? But you have to just, 
you have to think that this start was a little bit better than they were anticipating, and certainly people around the league are looking and wondering if and when they will start to try to pull more blocks from their Jenga tower, if you will, and try to stumble a bit down the standings. So, again, I have not heard anything to share, but you're right in that they would seem to be natural partners. Um, And I do believe Golden State's got plenty of picks, too, if um, there was someone that they felt like they wanted to go out and, like, really upgrade with as opposed to – I don't don't think – I mean, based off of what – I mean, no one's been willing to offer a first-round pick for Mike Conley. If, if, if they did, I would be – I would be surprised if he hadn't if he hadn't been moved already, you know. So, if the Warriors want to get someone of that, you know, degree in terms of uh, price on the market, like, they'd be very easy to just do that. But also, I think, you know, if they really want – if they want to dream bigger and they want to – attach first round capital to go get somebody uh the jazz have that too i I don't know exactly what would make the most sense or or who on utah's roster golden state would like um but it's interesting yeah pete how can we hey jake thanks for thanks for letting me in uh big fan here of the beam team uh, team. Also, no, yeah, well, the Sacramento Kings. It's cool to see how some of you national writers are have been in town the past few days. Uh, first of all, what are your thoughts on? Well, first of all, Sacramento needs a playoff team, man. That building would erupt. But first, what's your thoughts on the beam? And then, second, have you heard anything about the Kings on the trade market? I think it's pretty obvious they need a defensive-minded wing. Uh, they just lack so much on that end. But yeah, that's just a question. Go beam. Team. Go beam team. Um, I love the beam. I think it's very cool for anyone who is unaware. Um, every time the Kings win, I don't know. I, I probably need to ask some specifics on how it works, but they shoot this laser up into the sky and it's sick. It's, I mean, it goes on for what looks like miles. It's incredible. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you could see it from like, well high up in a plane, honestly. Like, it is pretty damn cool. Everyone seems to be buying in on it. There's an energy around this team. I mean, I try to pick out trips to go on the beginning of the season when there aren't games in New York. And uh, there were no games really in New York this week. Um, Kings had a nice homestand with some West Coast teams. And uh, Brooklyn, ironically, was wedged in there. Um, But... I also was kind of bullish on what they're building. I think, I think Kevin Herter, for a protected first round pick, might honestly be one of the stealthiest moves of the off season. He has fit in so perfectly with this team, especially next to Demonte Sabonis. They seem to have like a chemistry that um, honestly is like rivals what I saw with Joel Embiid and JJ Redick when they were running around DHOs and I mean, they were, that was one of the most lethal offensive pairings in the league for a while. So that's the, I mean, her shooting over 50% from three. I don't know if that's going to continue, um, obviously, but I mean, I, I just read about Joe Harris the other day. Like he shot 47 and a half percent a couple of years. Like 
maybe Kevin Herter is a 45 plus three point shooter at, at the end of the season. And if that's the case, like, I mean, he's got a little creation ability too that I think Sacramento um, people thought maybe he wasn't necessarily getting to use as much in Atlanta. And obviously, Fox is just as um, involved with the ball in his hands and pick and roll as any point guard, but he's not Trey Young or James Harden of the Houston days or Luca. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, the ball is flying and gets to both sides of the court and it runs a lot through Domas too. So, um, I don't know. I've honestly been rambling about Sacramento so much. I forgot that I, did I not answer any other points of your question? <laughs> there we go. Sorry. Sorry. It was a little loud. Uh, yeah, just what? Oh, yeah, what yeah. do you? I mean, they obviously oh the trade market, the trade market. Yeah, trade they need a shot yeah. blocker, but you know, just I it's early on in the season, so probably not. Yeah, so I've been surprised to see Rashawn Holmes just kind of like fade into oblivion here, but clearly they're liking what Shemezi Metu brings right now. He was on the Nigerian national team with Mike Brown, so there might just be a trust factor there too in terms of trying to get things off the ground and like establish what he wants to do. Um, and from there, uh, I, I think they will be active. Like, I mean, clearly this is a team that has been and um, you know, a good portion of this front office from Monte McNair on down with some holdovers and some other people mixed in that they, they held from that Houston tree that's always tweaking and adjusting things, right? So um, from there, uh, it seems like, sure, Backup center is something to look at, but yeah, I, I think probably I mean, they, they've looked at wing stuff in the past, right? Like they really wanted to get Herder and Monk to have more shooting and more guys who had a little wiggle and a little creative ability to take some pressure off the air in a bit, and it's worked out pretty well. Um, and they've got this four, they've got this core four guys of Fox. Her Keegan Murray Sabonis, and that's, that's my words I'm using, but it seems pretty straightforward, right? Those are the young top tier talent that are starting, and or they're 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 they are the the starting core, the finishing core, what have you. And that fifth spot's kind of up for grabs, so it's been interesting to see that that fifth spot can kind of be anybody in this current situation, which is um, like there's not a there's not a a, a specific archetype that it seems like to the coaching staff, like there are certain teams just like, oh yeah, they just need a big man, right? They just like need, they're missing this. It doesn't seem like the Kings feel like that's a, that, because, you know, they have I've had success with the Terrence Davis in that role and with Monk coming and being a third guard. Um, so I don't know if they have like a specific thing in mind, but I would agree that they're deep and that they've got pieces to play with here. So I, I, I would think that they are ripe for looking to just make one tweak here and there to, to make this thing that much better because there's, there's momentum building and this team clearly, you know, wants to and has a desperate thirst to get back into the postseason. So, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think they're a team to keep an eye on for sure. All right, I appreciate it. And if you're, are you in the building tonight again? I'm in the building tonight. I'm in the building All tonight. right, one favor. I'm just kidding, obviously, but chirp at, chirp at Vivek, the owner. Tell him to extend Monty McNair already. That's <laughs> it. All right. You got it, man. Good stamp of approval from Pete, from Monty McNair. We're going to try to get James on here 
again. James. Okay, can you hear me now? I got you. Oh, bad, bad, bad. Um, have you heard anything with the Cavs and Crowder? Because I know they were interested over the summer. Or... Yeah, I have not. I have not. The only teams I've heard with actual interest in Jay Crowder this entire like season, not during the offseason window, since like the news came out that he was not going back to training camp, was it has been Atlanta, Miami, and Milwaukee. And um, Milwaukee, like I said at the top, is the team that has been most recently categorized to me as the most likely team to land him. So um, it doesn't seem like Cleveland's really in the mix here at all. Okay, and then if have they been calling on anybody else? Because like, I just think like the roster is built a little weird, you know? Yeah. It is built a little weird, but that's kind of part of their identity. Um, I mean, they're going to be active, too. The, the Cavs have been one of the most active teams while Kobe Altman has been. I mean, you know, to, to sneak into that, I, I've, I've talked about this thing here before, but to sneak into that Larry Markin and sign and trade a year ago and be able to then use his salary to help turn Colin Sexton and, into Donovan Mitchell, like, those are just – Small, like there are small moves that set up big moves that the Cavs are very good at doing. So they don't got a ton left in the cupboard, obviously, to go make something happen. But um, I think they're really liking right now their five-man unit when they have all those guys clicking of and healthy of Garland, Mitchell, Levert, Mobley, Allen. I think Levert has been the Levert that the Cavs were tra- were hoping that they were getting when they traded for him. It seems like he's playing awesome. No, and he I played one him. good game. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, haven't, I haven't watched him during his losing streak, but they were really excited about what he was doing before the streak. So if that's, if that's the case, I mean, that's that's a nice way to see where I was going with it. I mean, that's the swing spot. That, that, that wing spot, like you're talking about with Jay, I mean, that's going to be what I think separates – the Cavs from being a fun young upstart in the playoff race to being like a real threat in the East. So that is definitely the spot that they would be, that they will continue to be evaluating and they're going to be evaluating until they have it solved, whether that's, you know, this year, they might even just solve it with a one-year rental and that guy leaves and then they're continuing to solve it. Just like, you know, the Celtics have kind of been looking for, secondary ball handling type stuff all along or outside Tatum and Brown, you know, that, that's just going to be kind of the, the hole that I think Cleveland's always looking at. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. You got it. We're going to take one more from Jerry and then I got a, or Joey, excuse me. I thought that was Jerry, Joey. And then uh, we'll get out of here. Joey, what's going on? Hey, Jake. Good to speak to you again. Always excited to hear, uh, speak with you, man. Love your show. Appreciate that, man. Appreciate that. How are you doing? Well, my question is about – I'm doing great. Um, my question is about things. I know there's not a information. We're not at that December 15th where, you know, a lot of things start getting more, you know, thoroughly discussed. But what I'm looking at right now is I know the Knicks obviously have to make a trade, whether it's this year or next year. And I'm more concerned about how the market changes if Kevin Durant uh, requests a trade and – have you heard anything, even the smallest bit of info, in regards to what their plans are? Because I'm the type of person that has stayed true to the idea that I think Julius Randle could still be part of this winning team. And I don't – I personally think that Obi's trade value 
could be, you know, a lot better and he could be a piece that could get us back something. And do you think that something will happen soon or is that something to look out for next year? I don't know what direction New York ends up going here. And I think a lot of it is going to be dependent on how well they play, which sounds obvious and simple, but I mean, they're a team on the fringe of big choices. Whether that's going to be, I mean, at a certain point in time, if they don't continue, if they don't get back to being a team flirting with and hosting playoff games, like the head coach is going to end up being the scapegoat at some point. I don't know when it will be, but it will happen at some point. But if they are winning games and they're close, like if they if they were having a season like Sacramento right now, I think then the Knicks are taking their package that they could have put for Donovan Mitchell and they're going out and aggressively trying to find that guy. But they're not that team right now. So we're still kind of – I mean, we're getting close. We're getting close to December 15th. We're about four weeks away from where – I mean, teams are definitely starting to come to terms with who they are right now or what they're lacking. That's why we're starting to hear the chatter pick up a bit. So – I don't know if the Knicks are there yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think I think they're still in, like, wait-and-see mode about what path they're actually going to take. In terms of Randall, I mean, I just don't know how, how movable he is. He's been certainly discussed and explored in the trade market. I don't know fully to what degree throughout the last two years, though. I mean, I mean pretty much – forgive me if I'm not getting the timelines, but whenever – like pretty much whenever he came back from that contract, I guess it was last year, whenever he came back from that big contract and wasn't performing at the same level, there's been kind of talk of him potentially being moved, right? That's been how it's gone. And I just don't think there's been a wealth of interest in trying to take him out of New York. So I don't know how, even if they wanted to move him, I don't know how, even if they were actively like deciding, all right, we're, we're getting off Julius Rand. I don't know what really – options would present because it doesn't seem like there are, are many. Hmm. Interesting. And no, nothing with Obi, I would imagine. Thanks. I appreciate you, uh, Jake. You got it, man. Thanks to everybody else. I got to run, but we'll be back either Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, depending on how things go. I don't know who my next guest is going to be, um, but we will be paying attention to what happens and we'll be talking about it at some point. Thank you guys. Take care. Have a good weekend.